Balper and the T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is Brian Burke. We have Brian Burke on, uh, I have Brian Burke on about once a year. It should probably be more than that. Uh, who he is, um, is not a hockey coach actually, because there's probably a hockey coach by that same name. Uh, he's actually the proprietor of Advanced NFL Stats, or about which side I think it is fair to say, uh, I, th- I don't think I'm telling tales out of school when I say that Advanced NFL Stats is the spiritual cousin uh, for football, the sp- spiritual cousin for football, uh, um, of Fangraphs, of Fangraphs, which is uh, the site, uh, the site for which this is the podcast. Um, Brian's really good at uh, demystifying some of the mysteries in NFL football and isolating, as we do at Fangraphs, isolating those areas where probably teams, whether it's via roster construction uh, or or in-game uh, strategy, uh, where they could be optimizing their approach um, in ways that are not uh, widely widely considered. So that's it. That's what that's what we talk about. I, you know, we address uh, some teams, some, some signings, some game theory. This is it, this is all to follow. I've had a couple of these before. If you listen to those, Brian's great, and this is the very similar. Um, through no, not because of me, but because of Brian Burke. Uh, so what is it? It's Fangraph Studio. It features Brian Burke of Advanced NFL Stats, and it begins right now. The poetry world is a real, I guess, like any, let's see, any sort of like discipline specific community is always going to be a problem. That seems to be the case. Uh, I mean, there are individual poets who are very good, but most poems are bad is one big problem. And then another one is that, you know, that the most ambitious people are, tend to be the ones who rise to the top and they're not the ones you want to spend time with. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably, you know. Uh, true of just about every just about any field yeah yeah it's kind of a nuisance yeah I, definitely i guess that i guess that happens though you know yeah um well i guess hopefully not that's not true of the football analytics world because i am uh consider myself the the pinnacle of of, <laughs> of all all good things in football analytics so no i <laughs> would say yeah obviously the exception i well i would say you represent I would say that uh, – oh, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, the the site, your site, Advanced NFL Stats, the name of which I'll say this time if, in case I forget to say it again, uh, is – comes out of uh, something uh, – it's not something you've pursued because you want to be – you want to be regarded as the man for for um, in terms of uh, football – Analytics. It's because it's like something about which you're generally curious. Oh, definitely. Um, and uh, it, it's it was just sort of this hobby that spun out of control, and uh, you know, yeah, it came comes out of gener- genuine interest, and still does. Um, you know, I want the site to do well, and I want to I want other people to find it and and enjoy it. Um, that's definitely true. And and to confess, I do I do. Uh, um, shamelessly enjoy sometimes when I get attention, but um, you know I'm I'm a human being, so um, you know that's just kind of comes with the territory. It, it's uh, it's fun when you're recognized, so I will confess to that. <laughs> yeah, vanity uh, vanity is up there. I have uh, serious problems with vanity. 
but I'm, well, so here's a question, right? Is that uh, you are uh, you are the proprietor of advanced NFL stats and you want to do good work? I wonder if the, you ever come to a situation where you look at it and say, hmm, I have enough time to do one post. On the one hand, I could do this that uh, you know deals with a. It's not something that particularly interests me, but it deals with you know, a team or, or maybe a pair of teams that played each other that I know will get a lot of attention or yeah. there's something that's a little bit more esoteric but which actually interests me. I'm, I'm curious, do you do you ever find yourself there? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, there's, uh, there's a balance you need to strike. Um, I'll, I'll remember, I, I remember the Tim Tebow frenzy um, from his, his season, his playoff season with the Broncos and, uh, Anytime you you posted the word Tebow into a blog, it, it exploded with uh, with web hits and um, lots of traffic and attention. And um, so you, I was very careful to kind of limit the uh, the amount of um, Tebow attention uh, the site um, focused on. Well, so let, we can actually start with a Tebow. It's not. Uh, it's, have you just uh, illicitly emailed me? <laughs> this uh, article yeah. you mentioned about uh, poetry fi- infighting. Yeah, just uh, yeah. Yeah. Just All right. Well, I'll read. <laughs> I'll read it after. I'll read it after. Um, uh, okay. So with regard to Tebow, well, of course Tebow was was on Denver. He's no longer on Denver. Uh, uh, Peyton Manning is uh, ha- is it has been the quarterback of that team for for two years now, um, or you know for a year plus, I should say. Uh, of course, he is now. Uh, he's also the quarterback of what we could call, I suppose, the six and zero Denver Broncos. The Denver Broncos, a team who are also quite well acquitted by uh, the efficiency model that you've created. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, is this is this something that we just should have expected entirely? That when you replaced Tebow um, with with Peyton Manning, who you know, by all accounts, despite coming off an injury, by all accounts, at least historically. Uh, you know, was one of um, not just his generations, but maybe uh, one of the most efficient quarterbacks of all time. Th- that the the Denver Broncos would instantly become excellent. Yeah, a friend of mine uh, said that Peyton Manning is like the the epitome of the concept of uh, when probability added for a player. So you you can you know um, you can take his historic uh, annual win probability added and and just tack it on. To the the, Brock, the Broncos um, record, you know they they might have been nine and seven, and you know Peyton Manning can produce you know four wins added above the average team, you know essentially meaning you take an, an eight win average team and replace the quarterback with uh, Peyton Manning. Now you've you've got a twelve win team, and uh, so you you can pretty much. Uh, it, Setting aside the injury questions and the age questions on Manning, uh, setting that aside, if you just um, uh, assume that he would be, you know, return to form after that, the neck surgeries and, and all those um, health problems, he, you know, you can you can pretty much, uh, you know, it's pretty arithmetic. You can just add his win probability onto the back of the Broncos, and, and there you go. Um, you, you know, they're definitely a, a true, you know, 12, 13, 14 win team this year. Yeah, right. Uh, their uh, their current um, per, per, again per the efficiency model, their current uh, GWP, which is uh, I, I don't want to get this wrong. Gross uh, gross win. Generic win oh, probability. Right, generic yeah. Win probability. Yeah. I, I knew that at one point, but uh, you know, I, it's I mean, awful. Yeah. It's right. an awful <laughs> word. I, I 
<laughs> it was in 2006 when I first started doing stuff like this, and I was uh, wasting time at work, like like I'm doing right now, yeah, and uh, doing yeah. something interesting, um, and trying to avoid my my real job. And uh, so I downloaded a bunch of efficiency stats and and figured out how much each one correlated with winning, and put it all into one model, and 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 it would produce the out. The ultimate output would be an estimate of a team's, you know, true winning uh, potential, and um, I, I didn't know what to call that. I had no aspirations to have a blog or or anything like that. Um, just was doing it on my own and um, stumbled into that term. So and I now you're stuck with it. Yeah. I, yeah. I apologize to my readers for that. It is, <laughs> and and the, the actual concept of win probability, capital W, capital P, is it's you know a bigger idea in in sports that I was completely ignorant of at the time. So um, <laughs> there is some confusion there. <laughs> okay. Well, GW, yeah, they have uh, – it's about a 72% right now, which is like basically in terms of roughly what we might call true talent, somewhere between 11 and 12 wins, which is very high f- uh, for a team uh, generic – for their generic winning percentage or winning probability as, as such as it is. Yeah, yeah. You- you know, even teams that say win 14 games, they go 14 and two. You know, their true kind of winning, um, you know, potential, their generic win potential, maybe that's a better word, is is probably something closer to 12 wins. And they just got lucky um, to to get to those those 14. And there's a reason why 14 wins are much more. You know, a 14 win team is much more likely to be a 13 win team in truly, uh, and just got lucky a game. Than a, a 14 win team that got unlucky, um, just because uh, there are more 12 win teams than there are 14 win win teams, just by you know the the bell curve, just by right. the Gauss distribution of, of team talent. Right. The uh, what um, what Bill James would have called the plexiglass principle, I guess, which is sort of an early yeah uh, early baseballing term for for regression. Yeah, yeah, and and um, you have to credit uh, Phil Birnbaum for. You know, kind of um, for that concept of, you know, that uh, you know every, you know, there's just simply more 12 win teams than there are going to be 14 win teams. So when you, you know, you always you always regress a little. Not to say it's not not to say it's not possible. You know, there could be a, a 16 win team out there that got a little unlucky, um, you know, and fell to 14 and two, for example. But um, that's very very unlikely. It's unlikely, sure. Now, so I'm going to ask a naive question and. Uh, and um, you, you're welcome to answer it however you want because I'm not going to be helping you out at all. But besides, b- besides the in terms of we know we know what Peyton Manning's product is, which is uh, he he throws for uh, a bunch of yards per pass attempt, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that's the best thing that a quarterback can do. What does he actually do? What is his process though, and how how does he get to that point? Because he did it with. Indianapolis for so long, and now he's doing it with a totally different team. So it seems like um, it's not necessarily a question of scheme, unless the scheme has been fit to his particular talents in Denver as well. Yeah, I think I think there's there's a lot of things going on. He's um, he's doing things a little differently these days. The passing game is shorter, so he's playing in much more kind of high efficiency, um, kind of low risk uh, type of. Um, Type of approach, uh, but in, in years past, in his early years, he was um, he, he was uh, throwing deeper, much more much more often. So there's advantages and disadvantages to both. Um, 
he was on a, you know, when he was with the Colts, a lot of the time his defenses were, were very poor. And so he was forced into, you know, um, uh, some, some situations where they were, they found themselves behind and they had to score quickly. But I think there's some arm strength issues there too. And I think, um, he's, he's learned and evolved over the years. I mean, he's just fascinating. I wish I could spend a month, you know, in a film room with him and he could just, uh, I could just ask him, what are you, what are you seeing here? What are you thinking here? But he seems to have a, um, special ability to diagnose, uh, defenses, understand exactly what the right play call should be or right decision should be given a certain uh, defensive uh, play call or scheme or you know um, and he's he's able to make that decision very very quickly um, and he's able to teach the rest of his teammates how to um, follow suit and uh, it's just a real special ability it's kind of beyond my area of expertise but I would love to I would love to understand what he's what he's doing. So it seems like this would be significant, uh, although I don't know if it is, uh, and, and maybe you have more to say about this, is uh, there are four receivers um, on Denver presently who have almost all identical numbers in terms of targets, uh, which mm-hmm. is to say times to, to which uh, times uh, which they've been throwing the ball, um, not, not just targets in terms of the raw number, but also target percentage, which is, you know, as a, as a – as a percentage of overall passes. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Julius Thomas, Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker, and Wes Walker have all been thrown the ball between 43 and 50 times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and basically hardly anyone else has received any targets whatsoever. This It suggests to me, um, not knowing better, that this is somehow evidence of the fact that, that Peyton Manning is not necessarily looking to a favorite receiver – and that maybe part of his particular ability is really on any given play he's able to find the receiver who's open as opposed to the one he wished were open. Yeah, it's evidence that the um, that the big success they're having is largely a result of Peyton Manning and not the result of a say uh, you know um, Calvin Johnson or um, uh, Fitzgerald you know a great receiver who's uh, uh, able to uh, make plays in any situation he's uh you know it, it's it's him it comes back to him and his decision making um but uh, yeah those those are definitely good receivers they would that's an excellent receiving core um no matter who the quarterback would be um so so we, we talk about you just said it, uh, those are excellent receivers i'm curious about another situation uh in new england presently uh, in New England presently, we have the same quarterback we've had for over 10 years. Uh, Tom Brady has always been well acquitted by um, the conventional numbers and also uh, what we might call the sort of advanced analytics, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's always done quite well. Uh, uh, it's, it's obvious now that um, – well, two things have happened. One thing is – uh, despite the fact that the Patriots are playing well, the Patriots' offense has not necessarily been a, a, a steamroller and is, in fact, uh, I believe, considered slightly below average uh, by the uh, the metrics, uh, yeah. by the efficiency currently. They're uh, 25th best offense, and offense typically is informed largely by the passing game. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that's happened is uh, basically every receiver is gone. Uh, from, from the Patriots team from last year. Obviously, Aaron Hernandez is gone. I don't know if Gronkowski's taken a snap this year. Uh, Wes yeah. Welker's in Denver. Uh, basically, uh, who you have left over is 
um, Julian Edelman, who was never at the top of the depth chart in terms of receivers, and then Danny Amendola, who, um, to my untrained eye, uh, largely because he's white, also because he's small and runs uh, tighter routes, um, you know, he's basically Wes, Wes Welker 2.0. And then there's a lot of then, – then there are a bunch of guys with whom Brady's not familiar. Again, we have these two things going on. Patriots offense, uh, not the – you know, not the productive machine it has been, and also a bunch of new receivers. To what degree are those things related? Well, I, definitely, you've got um, you've got severe kind of injury problems with with Gronkowski, and and then uh, I'll throw in there Hernandez, even though it's not an injury. Well, but, maybe it's uh, more like a mental injury. Yeah, like it's, yeah, it's it's injurious. Uh, that's for sure, and and. Um, and Amendola himself has been injured, and even when he's been on the field, he might not be uh, at 100%. So, um, and I think the the Patriots uh, built their offense around uh, the their um, stellar tight ends, their two tight ends, and so it's uh, difficult to um, replace that so quickly. Uh, I think you know there's some luck involved as well. Um, uh, I think they just had some some bad luck and and. Uh, uh, so, yeah, the the big thing, you know, Brady is making good decisions. He's got a low interception rate. Um, he's not uh, not turning the ball over. Um, he's not letting himself get uh, too beat up in the pocket. But um, he, you know, just to the untrained eye, you can see a lot of uh, passes being dropped that uh, you're just not used to seeing. Um, the Patriots, uh, uh, you're used to seeing them making those plays, but. Um, I think they'll improve uh, whether or not Gronkowski comes back or not. I think they'll they'll get better each week, and I think we're starting to see that. Yeah, well, that's interesting. You, you mentioned that, and that was kind of where I was going to go. Um, do, is there any evidence of any studies been done on the uh, on, on the, the way that efficiency between a quarterback and a particular receiver or a core of receivers? Might be affected by the amount of time they spend together. Yeah, that's um, that would be a good study. Uh, I don't know of any. I haven't done anything like that. Um, the closest thing would be, you know, seeing how rookie quarterbacks improve over the course of their first season. Um, but the problem is in. In football, there's only 16 games, so it's very difficult to um, get the sample sizes you need to really. Um, uh, see that, and also you're going to have some of this kind of uh, um, confusion regarding causality because uh, it, uh, there was a study done by another website a few years ago that studied offensive line continuity, and the, the result of the study, you know, trumpeted the fact that hey, you need to keep the same guys playing next to each other. There's this kind of mysterious brotherly harmony between these uh, offensive linemen. They can read each other's minds and they play well together when it's the same set of guys on the field. And you know, my point was, no, not really. It's that teams that, you know, it's the same five guys on the line because, you're, you know, your star left tackle didn't get injured. And so that's why they do better. Um, so there's a causality, um, you know, correlation uh, problem when you do studies like that. But, uh, and you've got the sample size issue too, so it's, it, that would be very challenging. Yeah, well, as you mentioned with regard to that line study, it seems like um, even careful researchers will want to come to some conclusion because it's frustrating uh, floating amidst the unknown. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there's a bias towards conclusion, and, and it seems like the study was set out to, to find, you know, what they what they concluded. But, um, you know, it's much, you know, there's a kind of... Uh, 
Occam's razor, um, where a much simpler explanation would be, you know, the injury effects. So I think um, uh, the the Patriots will improve um, just because they're they're going to, you know, have um, they're just going to have more time together. Um, they're going to understand the the concepts, the root concepts, things like that. Uh, that um, you know, they weren't expecting to build the offense around you know, wide receivers. It was always supposed to be the tight ends. Yeah, uh, just a brief aside with regard to Occam's razor. Did he ever use that to shave, or was he always making the <laughs> sort of uh, most common sense conclusion about every problem? I think, yeah, well, I think it's called that because he was shaving in the mirror when he made the, uh, the realization. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I did, sorry, I didn't know the, uh, the exact etymology. Thanks for bringing that to light. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the, the point is that listeners can learn a lot of different things, uh, on this, in this edition of Fangraphs. So it's not just about football. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's what we've concluded. Um, we know that, uh, quarterbacks are very important to winning football games. Um, and we also know that uh, the Baltimore Ravens, not just the Baltimore Ravens, your Baltimore Ravens. That's right. Brian yep. Burke, you, uh, uh, besides being a, a great footballing analyst, you're also a, a Baltimore fan. Uh, yep. Your Baltimore Ravens uh, won the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. Um, one could conclude, um, perhaps not correctly, but one could conclude that because he was the quarterback of the best team, the team that won all of the games, or won the most important games, that Joe Flacco uh, was, is, if not the best, and one of the best quarterbacks. The, the Baltimore Ravens suggested that that was their impression of Flacco by giving him, I think, what, at least what was at the time, maybe still is, the uh, the largest NFL contract mm. presently. Uh, I think, uh, I know, I think Rodgers, I think okay, your, your guy, I think, is, yeah, because there's, I think Flacco's deal is a f- six-year deal. 120. Right, six year, six one twenty, and I think Rogers is five one ten. Point point being, they're close. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we're talking about Joe Flacco and contracts. So for your baseball listeners, the contracts in the NFL are very different. That they're non guaranteed contracts. So um, what the because of the salary cap, there's a hard salary cap too. So what they like to do is put a whole lot of salary, bunch it up into the um, into the out years, into the distant future, and that way they um, you know if a you know it's kind of a kind of a of uh, option years for the teams, and so they. And if, if a quarterback really becomes, you know, awesome, you know, like say Aaron Rodgers did, then it may be worthwhile for the team to pay, you know, ridiculous twenty-five, thirty million dollars a year for uh, to keep that player. Um, but typically, what happens is because the salary cap, they continue to renegotiate uh, these contracts and um, you know put change money from salary into bonuses to amortize uh, over the. Um, length of a contract and long, long, long contracts are better because you can amortize signing bonuses over that length. So teams are putting, um, are paying players now, but shoving, uh, salary cap, um, hits down into the future. So they're kind of borrowing from the future, not unlike, uh, not unlike our federal government. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so what percentage of, um, what percent of contracts are actually sort of seen out to the end, or like a you know like a five six year contract, uh, you know like uh, uh, Flacco and Rogers just signed? I don't. That's a good question. I would guess just for you know looking at quarterbacks, zero, none. I don't think any of them 
uh, do uh, without being renegotiated. Um, uh, maybe I can't think of any like big name, long term star contracts that uh, where it's not renegotiated. So the player is always uh, simply looking for. Uh, I, I guess a decent annual salary in the short term, and then beyond that is looking for a pretty big signing bonus. Well, the signing bonus is sort of the guaranteed portion, so it's a mix of um, guaranteed and unguaranteed money. And then there's guaranteed for injury, guaranteed for uh, performance. Uh, so I can, you know, if, if I cut you because you're injured and you can't play anymore, well, then some of your salary is guaranteed based on what your contract says. But if but let's say I cut you just because you you suck, uh, then it's no longer um, no longer guaranteed. So it's very complex. And it's very hard to get a, a feel for what teams are actually paying players, which is one of the reasons why you can't. You know, like in baseball, you have uh, wins above replacement. Um, you know, like a dollar a dollar figure per you know, wins above replacement, and um, it's very difficult to do that in the NFL just because of the complexity of the contracts. Right, and it, it would seem to me. Um, let's see. Yeah, it would be right. It would be difficult to ascertain. No, wait. Are there situations where you, you mentioned that there might be X number of dollars paid a player if he is injured? It might be another situation where you pay him because he performs poorly. Are there situations where a team tries to suggest that it was because of injury, so that they don't have to maybe pay more because it was because of performance? Uh, I would, you know, I don't really follow that stuff to be honest, but I would imagine that's the case. And I think, um, you know, they have arbitration, uh, you know, structure for for situations like that. Yeah, is this just because the NFL is uh, kind of a crap union? Is that basically <laughs> what this is? I, mean, I don't know. Yeah, the, the, they seem to get the uh, the short end of the stick um, more than some of the other sports unions, but, uh, um, you know, the. the the rosters are, are very large, and um, so there's a larger proportion of kind of short-term players that are only going to be in the league for a year or two. And so I think there's um, uh, some, you know, some reasons why that, uh, you know, that might be the case. Why that the union seems to get the doesn't get as many wins as say the baseball union might. Right. So, so right, well, back to Flacco though. In just his performance is the reason to believe that he is, you know, if not the best quarterback, the second best quarterback, or the third best quarterback in the league. Well, he's he could be. I think he um, he has these skills. He has these abilities. He's just he can be very accurate, and he's incredibly just pretty. The you know he's like uh, um, throws this just amazingly pretty long ball, and um, so I think in the right situation with the right if he has the right offensive line um he needs to be well protected and if he has fast receivers he can um be very very effective and that's what we saw in the playoffs last year i mean he was very mediocre and always has been he's kind of been middle of the pack in terms of conventional stats and advanced stats um but uh, the, the ravens offense has always played to his strengths which is this very high variance uh, strategy where you, um, you you roll the dice, you put all your chips on the table on one big play and, and start throwing bombs. So yeah, you're going to have more interceptions and more sacks, but you're also going to have more you know 60 yard touchdown passes as well. So they're sort of built to beat um, Goliath. They're sort of a, a David offense that is structured to beat Goliath, 
and what you saw um, on their playoff run and in the Super Bowl last year was David getting lucky, uh, you know, three or four times in a row. And uh, that that's, you know, so there's, it, it's not as simple as, is Joe Flacco worth that money? Yeah, he's worth that money when he's got the right uh, cast around him and you've got the right uh mindset offensive mindset he can be but he's not a uh, kind of quarterback that's going to he's not mobile and can um, do a lot of damage without an offensive line or with you know a pl- set of replacement level receivers so um, so I think you know there's I'm kind of hedging here but yeah, the answer is <laughs> yes and no but it, it's important to realize he's not really getting paid that much money he's not really going to get 120 million dollars um, He's getting, you know, so it's not really a, whatever it averages out to, $22 million a year. Like right this year, he, it's maybe $7 million. And okay. next year, it's going to be twelve, And only after, I think, the third or fourth year, it shoots up to something like $30 million per year. And that's never going to happen unless, uh, unless the salary cap itself is, um, adjusted, uh, Greatly, but but he but he is probably but this is also the case for many other players as well. This sort of c- contract structure, so we can sit. We, we think that maybe he's being given the most guaranteed money, or, or he's among he's receiving among the most guaranteed money. Yeah, definitely, and I think I think that you know the team is. Um he gambled a little bit because they offered him a – he gambled and won. So the year before the Super Bowl year, he uh, – his agent went to the team and said, you know, you want to renegotiate now while there's still a year left on the deal before he becomes a free agent. You don't want to risk that possibility, so let's, let's extend the contract now. And the team was um, not really sold on on Flacco 100%, at least not enough to commit to another, you know, five years. So they um, – they never did come to a deal, and uh, so they they both kind of gambled. And Joe Flacco won that won that gamble um, by uh, going to the Super Bowl, winning winning the ring. So um, he he got paid. I think there was a little bit of uh, yeah, we owe Joe. You know, we um, you know we're going to reward his gamble um, in that contract. Yeah, although um, I don't know if it's going to be the case here. I do know that in baseball. F- Frequently, if you pay a player for what he has done, as opposed to what you expect him to do, uh, that's that is usually not great for the team. Yeah, that's definitely um, uh, you know what he has done though goes into that you know is a major part of that formula as far as what you expect him to do. Um, and uh, yeah, he's he's struggled at times this year, but um, he's lost his his two favorite targets uh, in uh, Bolden and Pitta. So. Um, uh, they've got some replacement level uh, talent uh, in the receiving core, and their their offensive line is not close to what it was last year. So, um, uh, yeah, he's he's gonna you know go back to kind of middling, you know, pretty much middle of the pack type numbers um, probably for the for the foreseeable future. Now you invoked Baltimore recently in a in a slightly different conversation, although still related to Flacco to some degree. Uh, you you invoked Baltimore along with a number of other teams. Um, in a, in a, you, you wrote about teams that uh, might, uh, maybe more as a thought experiment than anything else, uh, consider abandoning the run almost entirely. Uh, it's generally the case if we just look at expected points uh, per play. Uh-huh. And, uh, I think basically for every team, except maybe for three to five every year, uh, they essentially produce more expected points 
uh, via the past in the run. And, th- and those that don't do it via the past, it's because their passing is miserable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a big imbalance. Uh, passing is, is underutilized um, in, in a game theory sense. Uh, you, know, you should do what you're best at until it, your opposition counters that, and then I, ultimately the payoffs for two different strategies will, will equalize, and, and you know, that's the Nash equilibrium. Um, and it's no different than, say, uh, in baseball, you've got breaking ball and you've got fastball, and uh, just to oversimplify things. And ideally, the... Um, the uh, what should I what, what stat? Uh, well, sort of like linear weights per pitch. Yeah, pitch type yeah, linear lin- weights. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. Thank you. Linear weight per pitch type should be equal between the, your pitch types, and if one is much higher than the other, and you've got enough sample size to be confident uh, in those no, those estimates, then you should you should do what you're better at more often. Um, so it's that that's the idea behind. Uh, you know, running and passing, and some teams are pr- pretty decent at passing, but just god awful at running. And so, you do have to do both. You know, to keep the defense honest, there's definitely situations when running is advantageous uh, as well. But the you know the question is, you know, is the trade off worth it? If you're so bad at running, maybe you should, you know, that that advantage you're getting, you know, through that kind of game theory um, unpredictability is not as um, is not high enough to justify the cost of of running. Um, so, like uh, um, Mariano Rivera has one pitch, right? And so maybe his curveball is just so bad um, that uh, yeah, he's better off throwing that cutter every every single pitch. So um, you know, who, who's going to go up to Mariano Rivera and try to tell him, this, you know, hey, you need to, you need to start throwing uh, you know sliders? You, um, it's not going to be me. Is it going to be you? <laughs> well, I guess he's retired now, so nobody will. But uh, yeah. I, I guess it's it's that kind of, it's, it, you know, that kind. It's the same, you know. That's a pretty good analogy for what I see is going on. and kind of run pass in in the league right now. Is there a team? I know you discuss. Uh, you have a term you use, normal football, and this is, if I'm not mistaken, it's what first and third quarter uh, within 13 points or something like, or within a touchdown. Yeah, I've expanded it more than than first uh, and third quarters, but yeah, within ten points and um, when time really isn't a factor. So I do use some minutes into the second uh, and fourth periods when the when the score's close enough, and that's just a way I that I just use data from those situations to build the framework for things like expected points, um, and that's sort of those. Um, it's not that I ignore the rest of football when I do analysis. It's just that I use those situations to establish the framework because teams are playing, you know, they're optimizing um, their points scored, their net points scored ideally, and not optimizing, you know, last-second field goals. They're not playing desperation football. They're not. It's not trash time. Right. They're they're playing most like themselves at, at that point. Right. Yeah. They're a balanced approach to. Right. Yeah. But I'm curious as to uh, whether it's happening this year or it's happening another year. Are there teams that are near that uh, are exclusively passing? Have, has there been any – have you made any observations like that? No, I don't think um, – you know, there's never really been a team that's uh, – Andy Reid teams, you know, his, his Eagle teams have always been accused of uh, – um, you know, passing too often. He, he likes a lot of screens, for example, that replace runs. And that's, that's – you know, but still, even you know those teams were very um, fairly run run heavy. Um, 
what I would consider run heavy for what the numbers suggest. Um, but, uh, you know, that's what Bill Walsh did. And, um, you know, when he was uh, offensive coordinator with the Bengals and he had, uh, you know, it was almost like a, uh, expansion team and, and there were only a few years from, from their, their first season, uh, in Cincinnati and they, they had to, um, they couldn't run the ball at all. And so he said, well, okay, I'm going to have these really short timing, um, routes we're going to run. That's going to, they're going to be high percentage, uh, reception type plays and that's going to re- replace the run. And, um, seemed to work, seemed to work for Bill Walsh. So I think it can work, um, uh, today as well. You know, you, you had this, this piece about a sort of, again, hypothetically considering a, a handful of teams, what would happen if they abandoned the run entirely? Uh, it wasn't you, but it was another one of your your writers, uh, Keith Goldner, who's been there for a while now and does great work. Uh, he he recently wrote, I think it was from this past week, maybe it was the week before, of uh, Cincinnati Bengals um, leading 24-10, uh, going into the fourth quarter and uh, punting at a point that was inopportune on a fourth and one. Uh, and I know that those the, the sort of uh, teams utilizing the pass more, teams being more aggressive on uh, fourth down, those are two of the sort of, uh, I think, sounding points for mm-hmm. the site, right? That's a, that's a place where teams are not necessarily optimizing uh, their approach. I'm curious, though, uh, apart from those two situations we just discussed, if you notice teams moving towards that or if, if they're out of stasis. No, I, I think we're we're always hopeful. We're always checking to see whether or not they're um, getting better at that. I think passing uh Gradually, and if this has been a long-term trend ever since, um, like 1978 is when they ch- the league really changed the the passing um, rules drastically in 78, and um, not unlike maybe you know move, you know raising and lowering the mound, and um, in baseball. So ever since then, it's been this gradual uptick in the effectiveness of passing in every measure. So efficiency, the depth of the pass, the um, uh, there's fewer sacks, there's fewer interceptions. Everything about passing has gotten better since then. And team, the league as a whole is very, very slow to adapt to that reality. And the league continues to make rule changes that favor passing. And it's they're behind the curve, essentially. So they're, they're still catching up. Um, and over time, yeah, the, the run-pass balance in general has been um, – uh, shifting towards passing, but just not nearly enough is what it ideally should. And then, and then, what about uh, fourth down usage? The fourth down is, is very, very difficult to measure because every fourth down is so unique in terms of time and score and field position and to-go distance. But um, uh, th- there really is not much, um, not much movement. I think there's a lot of discussion, and there are some. Um, coaches that are dipping their toes in the, in the pool of, uh, fourth down, um, being aggressive on fourth down. You see Mike Smith, uh, do that. Um, you see some examples, uh, you saw the Jaguars get pretty ag- aggressive. They really rolled the dice against the Broncos last week and kept the game pretty close for a long time, um, which is exactly what they should do. And so, um, you know, there are some, there are some, uh, teams out there that are, uh, cautiously experimenting, but, um, uh, I don't think it's really permeated the league yet. Now, uh, b- uh, before I let you go, uh, you've, you've more than fulfilled your obligation. Uh, uh, why? Uh, this is a question that's, I, I probably maybe have asked you before, but I think it's always something that deserves to be revisited. Uh, why do you, 
Uh, why does Brian Burke, why does Advanced NFL Stats, uh, why does it hate my favorite team? And I ask that on behalf of uh, every football fan there is. Uh, the Packers? Why does it hate the Packers? No, 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 no. This is uh, no. The Packers oh, were a team I followed when I lived in Wisconsin. But I'm saying, generally, I speak for all fans when I say, "Why oh. do you hate my favorite team?" Oh, in general, yeah. favorite team and and uh, yeah, as, as a um, variable. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't like I don't like your team. Your team sucks um, <laughs> because they're not my team. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's one of the great things about. You know, analytics and kind of stats in general. It just doesn't know. I don't have, I don't know, um, you know, there's no like adjustment for, uh, being, being Tom Brady or being Geno Smith. It just knows their, their passing efficiency and their likelihood of throwing an interception. That's all it, that's all the model or that's all the numbers really know. It doesn't know who's got a supermodel girlfriend or who's, who's got super, Super Bowl rings on their fingers. So, um, you know that I think that's one, you know, one one advantage to that's just a pure statistical approach. It's not perfect. Um, there's, you know, definitely. But I could also see a situation like coming up this weekend, for example. I think the the Pats and Jets are playing. Yeah. The Pats have a better record, uh, and you know it seems like there are a bunch of reasons why they would theoretically win the game, um, or at least be favored to win it. And yet, uh, the probabilities that you publish, which you publish every week at, uh, in the New York Times, have them as, uh, 40, about a 40% chance, Jets at about a 60% chance. One of the reasons is that the Jets are passing more efficiently. Another reason is that, uh, one thing that's happened for the Patriots is that they've, uh, intercepted the ball a bunch and not, haven't thrown many interceptions. It's been just the exact opposite for the Jets. Mm-hmm. But interceptions are something that, as you know, in that piece for the times that are um, quite erratic, they they don't stabilize within a very small sample, as opposed to things like pass per attempt. And if if uh, Patriots fans are reacting, it's m- maybe it's because they're weighting all these things equally. That's true. That yeah, the, the um, interceptions on both sides of the ball are very very random. So when you when you make a prediction model, probability model for game outcomes, interceptions obviously. You know, turnovers as a whole sway the game, can sway the game, uh, greatly. And, uh, but the problem is they're, they're very difficult to, uh, predict. They're not a, it's not a stable, continuous kind of rate-like thing. So they're, um, uh, and they, so they tend to regress heavily. Um, uh, but, you know, one, one of the things I did mention in that article really that, that makes a difference here really is the home field advantage for the Jets. So when, when two teams are, are comparable in terms of their, their team strength, when they're, when they're very close in team strength, um, other factors tend to dominate the, um, the outcome. And, uh, in this case, home field advantage is, is a very real thing. It's stronger in football than it is in baseball, um, probably twice as strong. What is so, the, uh, yeah, what's neutral, like, yeah, two neutral teams, what is the home field advantage usually worth? Uh, 57% to, to 43% for okay. two perfectly even teams. Yeah. So if, if you, or, I'm sorry, that, that's in general. That's over the Y. That's over all matched, all types of matchups. So when you put two equivalent teams, uh, together, um, it's more like, uh, 63-37, um, split. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. Wow. Very interesting. That's, yeah. that's pretty big. 
And you see that you can you can measure that by you know, estimating team strength statistically, but you also see things like that in the playoffs and, and you know when when in all sports. So when you start throwing out the mismatches of great teams versus uh, not so great teams, you see home field advantage getting uh, stronger and stronger. Huh. Well, look at that. Hey, listen, yeah. uh, Brandberg, I um, I was gonna. Um, Talk with you briefly off air in a minute, but but for in terms of your presence on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I think you've uh, you've done it, you've completed it. Thank you. Good. Hit <laughs> <laughs> it. All right. Well, th- yeah. so thank you, thank you very much for joining us then. Oh, thank you for having me on. It's yeah. it's always great. To be on yeah. Well, annual your annual appearance, I guess, at this point. That's right. Yeah. All right. That is uh, Brian Burke of Advanced NFL Stats. You can find his work at Advanced NFL Stats. Also. Uh, once a week at the New York Times, and maybe once a week at the Washington Post. Still, is that a still a thing? No, I, I, uh, the the Post and I broke up. I asked for too much money, and uh, they said they said no. <laughs> well, there you go. There you are. Anyway, uh, that's Brian Burke. Who you? Who you find advanced NFL, NFL stats in the New York Times? Certainly, and in your heart too, if you look hard enough. I'm Carson, <laughs> I'm Carson Sistuli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Yeah.